Welcome to the concluding panel. I'm Tony Travers from the Government Department and LSE London uh, here at the LSE. And I am going to chair this final panel, uh, bringing together a long uh, day, I know, uh, on looking at an extraordinary array of aspects of the way in which academic research hits the outside world. And uh, we're going to conclude with um, Research Impact and the REF. Everybody in the room will know what that is. I won't explain more than to say we have four speakers. Um, all their biogs and CVs are in the pack, I think. Therefore, we're going to run in order, uh, starting with Professor Rick Rylands, who's the Chief Executive of the Arts and Humanities Research Council, and then David Sweeney, Professor Paul Wiles, and Astrid Rissenberg. So, if the technology is ready. I'm going to stand over there. Do do, yep. Thank you. Don't play with it. Uh, well, um, good afternoon. And um, I'm here to speak uh, because of uh, uh, the arts and humanities interest in this topic. So, I'll be thinking about things from that vantage. But I've also had some experience as being a member of both the Impact Pilot for English and also chairing the RAE panel in 2008, so I have some sense of how the dynamics of assessment work. I'm going to talk about three bits uh, in a rather listy way, but these are observations of key issues as they strike me at the moment. So I'll raise some general issues. I then want to say something quite specific about public engagement, and then I want to make three brief points at the end about the future and how impact is going to develop, not just in relation to this exercise, but also over the next uh, 5, 10, 15 years. Um, so let me make clear right from the start my, uh, my support for the impact agenda. Uh, this is not only because I think that uh, the funding of research with public money uh, owes duties of public responsibility and benefits and so on, but also because I think engagement with uh, audiences, engagement with horizons beyond the academic are actually going to improve the nature of that research. And if I have a theme in what I'm going to say, it is related to that, how getting engaged with impact is actually going to develop the research rather than simply reporting on its outcomes. So that's the key issue. The general issues I'd like to raise, uh, I'll skip through these quite quickly, they're the ones that seem to me most pressing from my semi-detached uh, stance in relation to the REF, but I think there is an issue in relation to the strong explicit linking of impact with the research at the beginning, particularly over long timescales. So that's one issue. The second issue I'd identify is how you provide compelling evidence for benefit I'll say more about these two in a moment, but uh, those two seem to me the most pressing issues for discussion at the moment in the way the REF is developing. Operationally, I also think there are a number of things to consider. Uh, the first one is the relationship between the case studies, the impact statement, and the descriptors of environment in REF. Those clearly need to be articulated uh, together. Secondly, I think there's an issue about uh, how those members of panels who are there to judge outputs are going to work with those members of panels 
who are there as users and how they articulate the relationship between that. And this comes out of my experience of chairing and also being a member of one of these panels, that the relationship between its members are crucial. So those dynamics between those representing different constituencies are, are crucial. Um, the other issue I'd like to raise is in relation to methodology. Um, and here I'll say a little bit more. Um, there was a view in my community in the humanities that impact was all about getting on the telly, as it were, that, that as it were, if you get yourself on the telly, that's impact sorted and it's about public communication. Um, but actually, I think there's much more um, thoughtful deliberation has to occur in relation to the methodology of how you assess impact. And here's just a number of thoughts about that. Um, I think it's wise to think about this as a process of discovery in part. Uh, the, me the, the method is new, uh, the enterprise is also new, and I think there's a very real sense in which we are discovering what it is we are assessing in the process of assessing it. And like most kinds of methodologies, um, the thing you look to, to, to measure will in part be a creation of the methods you adopt. Now, I don't see this as a problem. In fact, I see it as a real opportunity for people to think, as the impact methodology develops, of new horizons, new possibilities, and uh, new senses of things. But I do think there are two important things to think about in terms of the REF assessment. The one is the importance of the umbrella bodies, the main panels, to ensure consistency and oversight between the various components. Uh, the second is that I think um, it's quite important that there is a degree of disciplinary independence at sub-panel le level to recognise what is appropriate in, uh, in terms of impact for that particular discipline. And the third is that when people are constructing submissions, I would have thought, to the REF, they ought to be thinking about the narrative framework in which they couch their impact statements. So it's quite important that, uh, as it were, the mode of understanding these things is articulated and clear. Right, just a few words now about public engagement, uh, and then the three issues I'll conclude with. Uh, public engagement really, of course, is two things. One is uh, how you communicate research to people such that it provides benefits to them. But it's also about engaging the public in the design and development of research, and I think both of those aspects need to be given appropriate weight. Um, I also think there is a real issue about appropriate evidence in relation to public engagement, and of course the two familiar axes for this are quantitative, in my domain how many people attended that exhibition, but also qualitative, what kind of change was experienced as a result of uh, this activity and here you are thinking quite uh, quite imaginatively I would suspect about the impact of ideas in what in what sense of ideas changed minds in what sense have they produced public benefit of one kind or another um, there are also issues about what constitutes the nature of this benefit and again there are very different kinds of axes on which you can think about this um, uh, reach and significance are the ones proposed in the existing literature from Hefke and they seem to me quite promising but they have different kinds of dimensions uh, some public engagement will be relatively easy some will be extremely difficult and how do you weight those two things relative to each other I think is quite important some of it will be popular in orientation and remit some of it will be more expert and again how do you 
trade off the relative significance of those. Some over time will be sustainable, producing benefit attritionally. Uh, others will be much more singular. And how do you trade off those things against each other? So I think methodologically, there's a really interesting question about the relative weights you give to the various poles, and you can think of other ones, I'm sure, and balancing them off will be, will be crucial. Okay, three quick thoughts about the longer term, assuming, as I think we all must, that impact is a longer term game. Um, we have to think about, to rehearse something I said earlier, as it were, the impact of impact. So in what way is thinking about impact going to change the research space for us in terms of, for example, careers, the strategic development of research planning within universities, and the sense of value in relation to different forms of research. So that's the first point. The second, much more briefly, is how do you think about postgraduate training in terms of this new, this new uh, development, because we'll have to think about it across generations, not just for the current one. And the third is the importance of joining up what happens within universities with what happens in the rest of the research functions of a knowledge economy. Uh, I, I would personally like to see that as a much more porous set of relationships than probably is currently the case. But if we are to develop that, then we're going to have to work hard to try and achieve it. So, uh, thank you very much. Right, thank you very much. And for keeping so perfectly to time, next, uh, David Sweeney, Director of Research, Innovations and Skills at Hefke. Hello, uh, my name's indeed David Sweeney. I, I'm the person that is ultimately responsible for the REF uh, to the funding councils and to government. I'm also the person who's responsible for ensuring that we all make a success of this this exercise. And I think my, I'd like to thank uh, Rick uh, tremendously for his, uh, his uh, introduction. Rick is teasing out a whole load of difficult points. We've already had some from Judy. Paul, I suspect, will reflect on, on his experience in the pilot. Uh, first thing to say, this is our exercise. We have it under our control. I say our, I've been in work for 35 years, 32 years of them for the research councils or in a university. Uh, right now I have to wear occasionally a government hat and I wear most of the time a university's hat. It's our job to get this thing right and if we can't get it right uh, it makes it very much more difficult to justify uh, the research budget. I can just get this to move into slideshow at the right point. Let me know how I can do that. F5. Yeah, unfortunately, F5 seems to move. Right, we're going to zap through it. Sorry about that. Here we go. The research assessment exercise has been going since 1986. We have taken it over, if it was ever, the Thatcher government's creation. I don't believe it was, actually. Uh, we've taken it over. It's a peer review exercise for all disciplines run on our terms. I say here it carries the confidence of academics or universities. Now you might say, given the ferment of opinion, how can that be? Because every time we propose changing, changing anything, we get an incredible pushback from the community to revert to what they're doing. Perhaps that's because they like the known and don't like the unknown. Uh, the results generally too have carried the confidence of everyone. 
Now, what is it and what is it not? And some of the comments that have been made today relate to what the exercise is not. It is not an assessment of all UK research, nor should it be because the government doesn't fund all UK research, and the last thing we want is the government interfering in that over which it has no mandate. It's a selective exercise of the best research, because the best research in universities is what the government does contribute to funding. Of course it is the single most important driver for academics and for universities in the United Kingdom, therefore it's up to us to make sure that it drives things that we want, although of course we also have to drive things are consistent with what the government as our funder wants. The government loves it because the government is hooked on selective funding based on quality. And I think actually most of us are too, although there are others who are uncomfortable and would want the money to be spread ever more thinly uh, across work of all kinds, however mediocre it is. I put that in slightly pejorative terms because I don't uh, believe that. And indeed one of the big issues, uh, the difficulty which we had, uh, one of the difficulties with the Brown Report, we could spend a lot of time talking about uh, the breadth of them, uh, was that you can't evaluate the quality of teaching, you can't fund teaching on the basis of quality, uh, and uh, we're working on the basis that if you fund the best stuff, you invest in the best stuff, you get a greater return. Now it's the ref. Uh, however, the aims remain the same as before, uh, those bottom three bullets, driving selective allocations of research funding, supporting excellence wherever it's found, providing some degree of international benchmarks and reputational yardsticks, but not a stop take of the whole quality of research, and persuading the government to invest in us. What is my core job? It's not to run a research assessment exercise. It's not anything else to do my job description. It's to get the money. It's to get the money out of government, and therefore I'm moderately pleased about, uh, from my side, and uh, Rick and others working on the other side of the uh, Comprehensive Spending Review Settlement. The question which I was asked quite explicitly by the government was, what are we getting for our money? And there is absolutely no right or entitlement for you to be funded by the government just because you're there. We've all got to justify what we do, not necessarily on a short-term basis, not necessarily, in our case, certainly on the basis of every project and programme, but we've still got to justify what we do. And uh, part of doing that is in this exercise where, where we want to more explicitly identify and reward the contribution that high-quality research has made uh, to the economy and society. We want to make it more explicit to the government and to wider society because that's how we get more money. We get more money because we're doing things that work. Again, there's big issues about the period over which you're funding, the balance between work which has no obvious impact in the foreseeable future but which may or may not serendipitously or by the efforts of others come to have an impact, uh, and that of more applied work. But there is criticism, which I accept, of previous exercises that we have defined excellence rather narrowly. And that's why in establishing the impact, uh, the impact agenda, a phrase I hate, we're trying to recognise a broader kind of excellence, including those who may not be publishing in the privileged places, but uh, who are making contributions to society. And of course we want to encourage institutions to achieve the full potential contribution of the research, but this is not about 
forcing you to commercialize your research. We're perfectly happy to recognize high-quality research not done with impact in mind, but which others have taken forward. It was still brilliant research which should uh, be recognized and rewarded. So in making these high-level comments, let's say it's about making our case. It's about recognizing a broad kind of research. It's about recognizing that research in all disciplines can make a contribution, and as Rick was alluding to, recognizing the contributions those disciplines make in their own terms and not trying, well, absolutely not trying, to assess the impact from physics against the impact in drama. Not part of the game at all. It is a selective exercise, largely undertaken by academics, but just referring lastly back to a point today. Are we going to give to ourselves wholly the right to judge the contribution our research makes to society? That sounds like self-serving behaviour to me. Surely the fact that we have engaged a broad group of research users in the assessment of the contribution that our research makes is a good thing. Watching, as I did, some of the discussions there were in pilot panels, the, the engagement between the research users and the academics was just actually heartwarming. It made you think this is research engaging with society. And the fact that we're sharing this assessment with a much wider group of people, I think will build our case, it will give us advocates, and it will make us just a little more critical about what constitutes uh, a contribution and what perhaps not. Now, lastly, this exercise is not about me, Mr. Hefke, setting the rules for you. There are some broad guidelines, but it's up to the people that you've heard today in virtually every session and you're hearing from today refining that. It's about us learning from them. Uh, occasionally, we will have to pronounce because there's not agreement. Uh, we typically do that by consulting the community as we're about to do in July over the criteria documents. And uh, we will then, because all is published, it will be visible that we are following what the community, and of course that consultation will have responses from outside the academic community, broad responses, we're following what they say. This is our exercise, we're doing it collaboratively. The number one challenge at the moment is to make a success of this exercise over the next three years and win the argument next time that yes, it's worth investing taxpayers' money in research because we make a difference. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you, David. Move straight on to Professor Paul Wiles, who's the panel chair for social work and social policy, or of the social work and social policy panel of the Ref Impact Pilot. Thank you, Tony. Um, if I may, I'd like to sort of go back in terms of how this exercise began. Much of today's discussion has been about how you measure impact and how you can work with other people to achieve impact. But I want to go back to the question of why we're we talking about impact at all. And going back to a time before the last election, um, when I was working in government, I was Chief Scientific Advisor to the Home Office. And at that time, it was already clear that whatever the outcome of the election was, there were going to be very significant cuts in public expenditure. Furthermore, that although those cuts might be the result of an immediate economic crisis, there was a long-term problem about the demand on public resources whether it was the demographic changes that you all know about, climate change, global instability, whatever it was, public spending was generally under huge pressure. 
And therefore, there was inevitably going to be the question of why should public funding be spent on research? Why should public resource go into research? And I was engaged at that time with the other chief scientific advisors across government of how did we support the science base and the funding of the science base from public resource? Was that defendable? Because it was going to have to be defended both now and in the future. I was struck when we had that debate that the set community and medicine actually could put up quite a good case as to why public money should go into their research. I was equally struck as the only CSA in government at that time who was a social scientist that the social sciences could not put up such a good case and actually neither could the arts and humanities. And there was a real risk there uh, to social science research funding and arts and humanities research uh, funding. Of course, there are still plenty of people in government who think research should be funded as a general public good. But the problem with that argument is so many other kinds of public expenditure can equally be defended as a public good, and that argument alone won't actually work. There has to be more clear evidence of what exactly comes out of the public funding of research. And that isn't just a question that is going to be asked in government, although it will be asked in government, but it will also be asked by the public. And at the end of the day, we have to justify the public resource on research, not just to the Treasury, but to the public, the taxpayers, who in the end provide that money. Now, of course, the Treasury could have done an analysis of the impact of research funding. They were perfectly able to do that. But for the reasons I've just explained, the relative lack of evidence for social science and arts of humanities, that, I think, would have been pretty disastrous for the social sciences and the humanities. There are a number of reasons for that. One was that the social sciences and the arts and humanities as well didn't have the kind of powerful lobbying bodies that the set community and medicine has. We don't have the kind of lobbying that the Royal Society does so effectively, that the Academy of Engineering does so successfully, that the medical uh, learned societies do so successfully. And secondly, we have not systematically collected the evidence in the way that science, engineering and medicine has done about the impact that our research has. We don't have that evidence. It was at that point that Hefke offered to do some pilots to show whether impact uh, could be measured and, if so, how that could be done. And I ended up, uh, as the, uh, Tony Seddon introduced me, chairing the social science uh, pilot that Hefke carried out I had a pilot on social work and social policy, so in a sense I had the easy one. If social work and social policy can't show some impact, then we might as well all give up and go home. So in a sense I had a relatively easy one. Nevertheless, it did provide some important lessons. The first lesson, and perhaps the most important one, was that if you were going to try and look at the impact of the public funding of research, then the way in which impact was conceived had to be broadened from the narrowly economic. And that was probably the single most important thing that came out of the pilot. And you'll notice that Rick carefully used the word benefit, not impact. And that's the kind of example of the debate that went on among uh, the pilots to say we have to talk more broadly about the benefits, both social and economic, of research and not get trapped into a narrow economic uh, understanding of impact. But 
There were all sorts of details in the pilot exercise uh, that didn't work that well. That's why you do pilots. Uh, that is why Hefke took her after the pilots went away and changed some of those details. That's why the panels and the sub-panels are now working on a further consultation document that David just referred to that will come out next month and then a long consultation exercise to make sure that we've got the details and learnt the lessons from those pilots. So I hope you'll all contribute to that period of, 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 of discussion. There were, however, some risks that need mitigating. Many people have referred to this, the experience particularly of the last government, when you put targets in place or you start measuring the impacts of things, you inevitably get consequences that may not be quite those that you intend, and you have to try and guard against those. First of all, there's the risk of pushing all research into being only applied and challenging the basic notion of research quality and the importance of academic freedom that people referred to earlier on. That's why there's a quality threshold being proposed in the impact part of the REF. That is why the majority of the REF is still about the scientific quality of research and not impact. Impact is a minor part in terms of proportion uh, of the total REF uh, assessment. That is why people are being asked to submit a small sample of case studies, there is no assumption that every single piece of research has to be able to demonstrate impact, but that we can show that there are good case studies of where research does have impact. There is a risk of only judging the short-term impact of research, hence the relatively long recall period for the case studies that people uh, submit. There's a risk of only counting positive perceived benefits. That's why we said, certainly out of the social science uh, pilot, research which is critical of government has just as much impact as research which supports government. In a democratic society, that is equally important. So it's not just positive benefits, it can be negative benefit as well. Somebody this morning talked about the risk that what you get here is a lot of fairy stories. I can tell you from chairing the pilot the one group who will spot bullshit half a mile away are your peers. And this is a peer review process. You will not get away with fairy stories. There is a concern of whether the way this is going to be done is going to be disproportionately costly. Perhaps. I do have some concerns about that. But I have to say that some of the alternative that is, alternatives that have been suggested, uh, like citation, use of citation indexes, have not been accepted by the social science community as part of the development of the REF, and they're not prepared to do that. Finally, um, why this matters. This matters because this is an opportunity, particularly for the social science and arts and humanities community, to demonstrate that their research is worth public funding and to campaign for that in the way the science community, the engineering community, and the medicine community has done. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Paul, and admirably time to time. And finally, Astrid Wissenberg, who is Director of Partnerships and Communications at the ESRC. Thank you. Um, in addition to that, I also chair the RC UK Impact Group. Um, and I am going to be talking today primarily from an ESRC perspective, but putting some of that in. I also was an observer on Paul's panel, so I've, I've seen the work of the pilot panel in, in practice. 
I'm going to take you slightly on a trip down memory lane. Um, I'm finding it somewhat worrying that as probably the youngest member of the panel, I might have the longest memory around impact. Um, but what the key message I want to get across is actually that this is not that new. When I came into the research councils, all the discussion was around technology transfer and the research councils demonstrating their contribution to the economy. We moved from that to knowledge transfer, to knowledge exchange, to impact, to an articulation of that as economic and societal impact. Now, in its essence, we're still talking about the same thing. We have moved on. We have probably articulated much better what we're trying to do. Um, and we're not there yet. But this isn't all completely new. Now, I think, therefore, that actually in the social science community, we have a lot of experience already around this. Um, and I went back through some of my files earlier today, um, trying to find a connection somewhere out there. And ESRC actually held its first symposium on the impact of social sciences and how we could assess this in 2005. And one of the key conclusions actually was, and repeating something that Rick said, dissemination is not impact. Six years ago, we've published several reports taking stock and branching out on the work that we've done. But I want to just reflect briefly about why ESRC has put so much work into assessing impact from our research and our funding. First of all, to actually try and push the methodological development. <coughs> we wanted to make sure that as social scientists we could talk the same language to some extent as the STEM areas. And it is difficult because a demonstrable contribution from the social scientists is much more difficult to articulate than for, for example, engineering. And that is because a lot of our research is conceptual, not instrumental. That's still an extremely difficult area, and I think one that will keep on challenging us for several years to come. And a lot of what we do isn't as measurable. It's much more uh, qualitative. So there are some methodological aspects that we've been really trying to push um, and uh, um, try and get a handle on. Most of that has actually been fed back into the various discussions that the research councils have had with the funding councils on how the REF has been developed. So that learning has not been lost in that sense. The other reason we're doing all of this is because we actually want to know how well our projects perform. There is an element of performance assessment. And ESRC, since this autumn, has rolled out impact assessment as a core part of its evaluation of its individual projects. So if you thought you might escape it on the REF because you might not be a listed academic, if you get funding from us, you'll get it anyway. And by the way, what you write for us, you can probably really pretty well reuse for the REF. Mm -hmm. um, and I have indeed seen in the pilot examples of that. The other reason we're doing this is clearly this was a way for us to try and find narratives to articulate the benefit of investment in the social sciences. And from what Paul says, we succeeded in that to some extent, but not as well as we could have. And I think that's still a challenge for us as a community to live up to. But most importantly, why ESRC does this is to actually understand better the barriers and the opportunities for creating maximum impact, for increasing those benefits from the research that we fund. So some of the things that have come out, and they've been mentioned all over today, um, early engagement with users, there is a real demonstrable benefit in that in terms of how much impact you have at the end of your project, rather than just deciding to have a dissemination conference and publish a few articles at the end of it. The presence of existing networks and relationships, that's a really interesting one because the Research Council funding isn't very well set up to support you as a community to do that. 
And I think it's something that within the dual support system we need to think quite carefully about to make sure that those kinds of activities that you undertake are actually supported. And the involvement of intermediaries and knowledge brokers is part and parcel of that process. So I want to wind up because I want to have some time for questions, but I think there is a lot of experience and knowledge out there. I think for some of you who are perhaps struggling with this and trying to get their heads around it, I'd really recommend looking at some of the reports that we've written, and I'd recommend also looking at some of the um, guidance materials that have been published by the Research Council, particularly the Impact Toolkit that ESRC has recently published. And that may help, it may not help. Final comment, I think a lot of the work that some of you have been doing for us on impact and articulating your case to us, keep those cases in your back pocket because I think they will come in very, very handy for the RAF. Right, thanks Astrid. We've now got, miraculously, eight minutes uh, before the long-promised drinks reception. Um, I think what we've heard here is... Um, a, an elegantly moderated establishment understanding, if I can call the panel that, a sort of establishment understanding of how impact and research excellence have to be translated. Very valuable. We've heard that this is needed partly as a justification for social science funding, absolutely. Uh, also, how to embed some of these ideas into the way universities function, and indeed, I think indirectly, how to help people sitting on the panel justify what they are doing when they get to ministers and those uh, who in the end decide where the money for social science and the humanities comes from. Questions? Can you... Where, where are you? Wave your hand wherever you are, I've missed you. Oh, on the left-hand side there, yep. Woman down, um, uh, that's right, as far as you, right down there, if you can pass the mic, I'll throw it or something. <laughs> Good. Can you Thank say you. who you are? Yeah, Lydia Lewis, University of Leicester. Um, one, one of the things just that occurred to me that speaking about the genesis of the notion of impact was... was and from some of the comments earlier as well, was why we, why we're speaking about impact rather than the uses of research. But um, anyway, uh, which is generally spoken about in social science, isn't, isn't it? But anyway, I'm going to skip over that. And I just wanted to raise again two points I, I actually brought up earlier and didn't get answered earlier in the day. But I think now we've got a more relevant panel that um, could speak to these points. Um, the first one was with regard to the ESRC knowledge exchange schemes and how they've been restructured. Um, and I was speaking earlier about uh, how I've noticed that within the current, I think they're called knowledge exchange opportunities, there's very much a prioritising of uh, partnerships with, with, with the business um, world, uh, kind of over those with civil society and the public sector to the point where it actually, the funding call at the moment explicitly states that uh, proposals in that area will be prioritised for funding as long as they meet quality criteria. And also the very much the, the emphasis in the SRC delivery plan on uh, meeting the needs of business. And I was asking earlier whether is this a new development within the SRC since we've had all the restructuring in light of the spending review um, or not? And, and if it is a new development, I'd like to know where that has, has come from. Uh, and then the other point I raised earlier was just about evaluation of the REF uh, and whether we have any 
whether, whether there's going to be an evaluation and including in relation to it, uh, impact, um, equality impact assessment uh, and whether there's been any, any thinking about that so okay. far. Very good. Point us to the future. Excellent research about research. This is good. Um, gentleman here, blue shirt. Uh, down here. Hi, I was just wondering, as someone hopefully that's going to go into academia, currently doing a PhD, I was wondering, you know, how long will impact be around, you know? Will it be <laughs> 20 years, 30 years? I was just wondering before the next best thing comes along, you know? So that's... Okay. Probably a PhD in futurology then. Uh, next. Uh, one, let's have another question. I'm going to wrap uh, as many as we can get. Yep, woman there. Yep, up the gangway. Hi, I just uh, uh, was wondering if you can put into more perspective the ideal of having, you know, other partners involved in research design. That's really our thing to do because obviously partners don't have the time and resources to put into a research design before even knowing if this is never going to be funded. And also from experience, how do you explain to a partner, external partner, that you've not been funded when most of the reviews are positive but the research is not relevant or there are no reviews of why you haven't been funded because that puts the research council as well as yourself in a very bad position on how you establish a partnership. Okay, and then uh, anybody want to be critical, anyone want to ruin their career, anybody critical of the way the funders are doing all of this? Anybody who's been waiting all day to get them? Anybody want to, now is the time. Come on, somebody must have something critical to say. You don't have to give your name. Oh, right, well, I got it all right. Oh, yep, yep. well done. <laughs> Goodbye. Yep. I think the point's been made by the previous panels, but I want to sort of just highlight the fact that a lot of, for example, think tanks would be one natural place to, to have, uh, you know, collaborations with. You've got to ask questions about where their funding comes from and who, whose interests they represent. So it's about the politicisation the potential politicisation of research. Okay, right, be good. Uh, now, Astrid, the first question definitely was all for you, but if the other speakers can chip in on the, the other questions, but that was definitely aimed at, uh, at ESRC. Um, yes, our new delivery plan uh, does um, highlight business engagement as a strategic priority for us. That's because we have been pretty bad at it. Um, it's an area that we struggled with for a long, long time and we're not making much progress. So yes, we are putting additional resources and money into that, but we're also going to leave our extra resources um, from the business community. At least that's what we're expecting to do. And there's a, if you read very carefully, quite a, a uh, commitment to raising 5% of our co-funding from businesses. At the moment, it's almost zero. Um, in terms of the knowledge exchange call, yes, there is a prioritisation, but that does not exclude, nor are we suddenly not interested anymore in uh, collaborations and knowledge exchange with the public sector or civil society. Business is just an area where we feel as a community and as a research council we're not doing well enough in, and we want to push that. Just like we found quantitative methods as a skills area of strategic importance. I'll very quickly say something yep. about the other ones. Impact, how long it will, will it be around? I think it will be around forever, but don't ask me what it will be called next. 
Um, and yes, research utilisation, coming back to that, I could have gone back further back into history and mentioned uh, all the literature and the work that's been done in the social science community around that. On the research designs and partners, I think you raised some really difficult areas there in terms of collaboration. It is very difficult to get partners involved early on. But we do find it in particular in the public sector and in large organisations in the third sector. There is a real understanding of those issues and a willingness to collaborate with them. Um, but I think, again, with the business, apart from big business, there is a real problem there in getting people around the table. And with you, we want to find ways around that to support you and work around those um, problems. Right. Who'd like to... Uh, would like to can I say, yes, of course there'll be an evaluation of the REF and there'll certainly be uh, an equalities and diversity analysis. We're at it right now. You'll find that our publication 2011-03 uh, refers to the effect of using normalised citation scores for particular staff characteristics and is deliberately written in anodyne terms because we think there's major equalities and diversity issues with bibliometrics, but uh, we're not quite ready to... Uh, to stand on a pedestal and say that, but we've, we've, we've published some stuff. So we're very live uh, to all that. Uh, I think uh, the day that we stop worrying what research is for is the day that we'll stop funding research. So I entirely agree with Astrid that uh, it may not be called the impact agenda, but you should be thinking if you're going into a career in research, why you're doing it and what it's for. Because if it's just for your personal aggrandisement, then it won't work. I hope you're interested in either a vibrant scholarly discussion, which may be nothing to do with impact, that preferably is worldwide or in the community that you want, or alternatively you go into research because you want to make a difference. And I think you can justify uh, research on, on lots of grounds, but it's not something that should be gone into because it's a ruthless and difficult career without being very clear about why you want to do it. So you have to be interested as well. I mean, it has to be all those things, but I mean, the thing that drives academic research is this personal interest. I, I just took it for granted that people all right. didn't do things they weren't No, no, I thought not. In. All right, fair enough. <laughs> but it's just you sound as if they might do things they weren't interested in. I'm sure it's my fault, my fault entirely. Uh, do you want to say I, I'll just... This, in a sense, is no, not a direct response to um, any, any particular question. It's an observation, really, about the way the world is changing. And... Uh, because we are now educating far more of our population to, um, to, to higher education standards, because research functions and research-related functions are much more ubiquitous across the culture, I think the role and identity of universities is, is bound to come under some degree of pressure and redefinition. And I think we're in, we're in a rather muddled area at the moment where nobody quite knows their orientation in relation to this, but I do think it's something that's going to change and evolve over the next decade or so in, in really potentially quite dramatic ways, and that will involve a renegotiation of how we think about various of the aspects that people have described today. Okay. And Paul, I mean, you've worked inside government and are now working outside government. What about politicisation? Okay. Um, it's interesting, actually. Um, ministers or politicians will sometimes try and influence research uh, to come up with the answers they want. And if they think that's happened, they won't trust it for a moment. Um, they simply, you know, any sign that research has not been independent means that politicians won't trust it. Even though they may nevertheless try and influence research. The other thing I'd like to say, which is slightly heretical, um, is that although I think it's 
quite useful to think about all these mechanisms you've all been talking about, about how you can help research have impact. The most important thing is to do high quality research. To hell with whether it has an impact. If it's high quality and if it's relevant, it will have an impact. So, you know, that's the first thing. Do good quality research. Do high quality science. Yes, I noticed that. I only put a suit on, so I ought to today. Um, but seriously, that is the important thing. You will have an impact if you've done high quality research, if it's clearly important and clearly independent. The other reason I'm saying that is when we did the pilot exercise, one of the things that most struck me was that what we got in that pilot exercise were lots of very, very good stories about how research was important and how it was being used. And I hadn't seen those stories in the public domain before. The universities and the research community are appalling at actually selling their wares. We've got to get better at it. Those influences range from highly local to small local businesses to international impacts with good evidence of that international impacts. Social science research, I can't speak for the other areas in this country, does have all sorts of important impact, if that's the word you've got to use. All we need to do is talk about that more, and we haven't done that in the past, but it comes from high-quality research. Right, thank you all, and thank all of the panel for being uh, for speaking so much to time and actually for conveying so much information in such a short period. I, I'm just going to sum up very, very quickly um, this session and uh, uh, what went on earlier on. I mean, it's clearly, I think it's fair to say from pretty well everybody here, a strong sense of uh, a need and desire to extend the reach of academic research, providing it doesn't damage its quality, partly can't deny this because of governmental expectations. It's taxpayers' money that pays for a significant proportion of academic research, most of it. Uh, but second, to explain issues, a more general mission to explain, uh, and to explain society and the way it works, certainly in the humanities and the social sciences, but also, I think, to give a, a different and perhaps a slightly greater sense of personal achievement. These are all interconnected ideas uh, which can coexist and that one need not damage the other. This is a world where there are many academics and institutions, many intermediary bodies that have been discussed today, and frankly many, many potential recipients. And one thing we haven't been able to look at today, but I think is an interesting question, which has been touched on several times, is what those on the other side really want. We, we are talking about trying to transmit information here, but the question of what small companies, big companies, public sector institutions actually want to get from academic institutions, slightly different uh, and related, though not today heavily discussed, issue. Um, the academic side of the way universities present themselves through things like the RAE and REF, clearly quite different from the more accessible forms of public engagement that have also been discussed today, but they needn't be inconsistent. And I think the other thing it's worth adding at this point is that uh, with so many changes in communications, that is, we're moving from one way of communicating knowledge to an unknown set of future ways of doing it, that's an, that adds an additional layer of complexity on what would already be a relatively challenging thing, I think, that is, how to transmit this body of knowledge and research to a much wider audience with rapidly changing media. But to be optimistic, just to finish, I mean, I think the, the 
clear message that's uh, come to me from listening to various of the sessions today is that, of course, people want the output. The one thing that universities have, in my experience, that nobody else has is time to do research, time to stop, time to think. Time and again, people outside universities to say, oh, you don't know how lucky you are. You have time to think. Well, it may not feel like that, but hey, uh, let's take the the compliment when it's given. So there is, I think, a real sense in which people inside universities are able to analyse the world, a complex world that becomes with ever more information flooding down, bombarding people, and universities do have a capacity to analyse, and analysis is valuable in other, other sectors. Analysis is, after all, a, a saleable good. So the only issue left for us is how to transmit the analysis. And I do think today has given us clues, ideas, and opportunities. Indeed, it is itself a heroic exercise in knowledge transfer and exchange. So it's in our own best interest, and indeed uh, for universities collectively, in making sure the world understands why they do good. Thanks for coming. Um, do... Um, enjoy the rest of what lies ahead and that is drinks outside so thank you all very much for coming do talk to us all talk to anybody else who's spoken today uh, and have a safe trip home uh, thank you very much goodbye